Welcome to another episode of The Untold Hour. It's your boy, Bowser, and yes, I'm solo this week. And actually, for the first time ever, I am truly solo. I have no guest. I've got no plan. I've got nowhere to go. That's uh, that's the uh, tagline for my Bowser solo movie. Um, no, what's the tagline for Ninja Turtles 3? That's my tagline. Uh, what is it? It's like uh, they're lost in time with uh, no no plan, no map. Okay, ancient Japan, 1953. Without a map, without a clue, without a pizza. So that's me this episode. Uh, I'm not in ancient Japan, but I am alone on an episode of The Untold Hour without a map, without a clue, and yes, without a pizza. But I'm not without a plan. My plan is to finally do the Listener Stories episode I've been talking about for months. So you have found yourself smack dab at the top of a listener story episode featuring your boy Bowser reading six to eight listener stories. But before I get into that, let's talk Weird of the Week. Squirrel beer, ant gin, and poop wine are served up in Disgusting Food Museum's new exhibit. Okay, I'm listening. Gin brewed with ants, poop wine, whale testicle beer flavored with the smoked dung of Icelandic sheep. Oh, you had me at whale testicle. This beverage collection sounds like a menu at the world's worst happy hour, but it's actually part of a new exhibit at the aptly named Disgusting Food Museum in Malmo, Sweden. Oh boy. The museum is already known for its peculiar culinary displays, such as maggoty cheese from Sardinia, Icelandic fermented shark flesh, and Peruvian frog smoothies. For the new three-month-long exhibit, which opened to the public on September 5th, we have found the strangest, most interesting, and challenging alcohol types from the world, museum director Andreas Ahrens said in a statement. Some of the exhibited alcohols showcase different types of homemade alcohols going back thousands of years, while others are experimental made by local brewers. One highlight is a Scottish beer that is the strongest beer in the world, with a staggering 55% alcohol by volume. 55 alcohol by volume? Whoa! Average beer is usually about 4.5 ABV. Not for this guy. My favorite beer, I'm just going to side note, uh, my favorite beer is, uh, maybe I'll get a sponsorship out of this, Brother Thelonious, uh, a Belgian dark from uh, North Coast Brewing. That is my favorite beer of all time, and its ABV is 9%. Hey, North Coast, send me buckets and buckets of Brother Thelonious, okay? It's my favorite beer of all time. For a while, it was Old Rasputin, also from North Coast, at a certain point last year, and I know this is why you tuned into this podcast, you want to hear my history, deciding on my favorite beer. After much delineation, Brother Thelonious took the lead, and Brother Thelonious has held the lead uh, for, for quite some time now, I think arguably cementing its place as my favorite beer of all time. But back to this Scottish beer that's 55% ABV, 
The high alcohol content isn't the weirdest aspect of this Scottish beer. The intoxicating brew is served inside of a taxidermied squirrel. Come on, guys. I have long been fascinated by why we humans force ourselves to overcome our dislike for acquired taste alcohols drink that can be intensely bitter, pungent, or otherwise unpleasant, Ahrens told Live Science in an email. This exhibit is a deep dive into why we drink and how we started our strange relationship with spirits. Well, okay. I mean, I, I, I'm not turned off by pungent things or bitter things. In fact, I'm very much attracted to them. I love the taste of pungent and bitter things. One of the things I love about Brother Thelonious is that it's very pungent. Um, but I, I like smelling the inside of the bottle caps of Brother Thelonious. Huh? Is that weird? I like holding it up to my nose and just sniffing the inside of the bottle cap. And then I kind of rub it with my thumb. And then I have this nervous habit of putting the bottle cap... Uh, kind of on my front teeth and then tapping. Um, I don't have a bottle cap with me right now. Uh, gosh, or do I? Oh, come on, do I? Or else I open my drawer to look for a bottle cap and I find an autographed copy of Spawn Number 1 in a frame signed by Todd McFarlane. That's what we call on brand. But I don't have a bottle cap. Otherwise, I would do the little teeth tapping thing that I do with bottle caps. I'm not uh, not into bitter and pungent things, but would I drink a pungent beer out of a dead squirrel's belly sack? Yeah, maybe. Wait, maybe I would, maybe I wouldn't. I don't know. What is delicious to one person can be revolting to another. Uh-huh. Disgust has long been considered a universal human emotion. True, but while the emotion may be universal, opinions vary widely about what qualifies as disgusting. Of course, depending on customs, cultures, and personal tastes. <clears throat> disgusting Food Museum invites visitors to explore the world of food and challenge their notions of what it is and what isn't edible. I'm all about that. Alcohol in the museum exhibit had to be considered drinkable somewhere in the world. Okay. Even if some would be put off by an offensive taste, odor, or the background of how it's made, Aaron's told Live Science. For example, a rice wine called Sungul, Sung, uh, Sungsul, once used as a medicinal rent remedy in South Korea, that's all, folks, is brewed with the fermented, oh boy, human feces. The thought alone is enough to get most people to gag. Unsurprisingly, this so-called poop wine smells horribly bad during production. Okay, if it's something that is rooted in a culture that is consumed somewhere in the world, I'm fine with investigating it. One of my dreams is to take a shot of, I, I don't know, I think it's Cobra blood. I saw on a travel show once, these people, uh, I don't know where, uh, sitting out drinking Cobra blood. And I'd love to do that. But it, I, I need it to be rooted in something. If it's just an invention of this museum to freak us out, then that's kind of like the Eric Andre of fucking alcohol museums, you know? Like, okay, LOL, you put fucking beer in a squirrel's belly, but that's not an accomplishment. The shock alone is not an accomplishment. Okay, Eric Andre? Anyway, um, unsurprisingly, oh, I already read that line. This so-called poop wine smells horribly bad during production. Whale testicle beer, a seasonal product produced by brewery DG in Iceland incorporates testicles that are cured according to an old Icelandic tradition, lightly salted and then smoked. Brewery co-owner, uh, I, I will pronounce this wrong, Dag, Dag, Dagjartur Arlson told Icelandic news site in 2015, we put a lot of effort into this and it's a long process. Uh, I, I'm, less I, I'm less turned off by um, uh, testicle beer, whale testicle beer than I am um, poop wine. 
But I think out of what I've read so far, I'd still drink the squirrel beer first. But let's talk about this anti-gin. Each bottle is steeped with about 62 redwood ants, and it's the world's first gin brewed with insects. The ants lend sharp citrus notes to the beverage, the product website says. It's probably just as well that visitors can only look at the exhibit's alcoholic beverages and not taste them. However, wait, you, well, then the fuck? You just go and look at, I mean, I'm doing that on the internet right now. I'm not going to go to the disgusting food museum if I'm not slurping some fucking nutsack beer or shit wine. God damn. Okay, I just lost all interest in this. In fact, four of the, uh, let's see, uh, the, the, the museum uh, organizer, though, did sample as many as possible while researching the drinks. He tasted mostly all of the rest. Uh, in fact, four of the alcoholic beverages on display were manufactured were manufactured by the museum. Korean feces wine, chicha, an ancient beer made from the corn that is chewed into paste before fermenting, pruno, a prison wine made from fruit and brewed in a toilet, and a potent Ugandan moonshine that British colonizers dubbed war gin. The only one I can't bring myself to try is the poo wine, Aaron's admitted. It's just messing with my head. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense, my guy. Uh, of course, you don't need to, uh, try the poo wine. You've done enough. But I I don't want to go to that museum, uh, without being able to sling back some shots. Uh, listen to this, okay? Indonesian coffin maker becomes instant millionaire after $1.4 million space rock crashes through his roof. Get at it, get at it. A coffin maker became an instant millionaire. Joshua, or Joshua Hutuglang, 33, was at home when the football-sized meteorite smashed through the veranda at the edge of his living room. Experts have hailed the 4.5 billion-year-old space rock as one of the most significant meteorite finds ever, saying it could contain elements which gives clues to the origins of life. Holy crap! Joshua of Kolang in North Sumatra has already sold the rock to a specialist collector, and it's given him enough money to retire and build a new church in his village. He said, I was working on a coffin near the street in front of my house when I heard a booming sound that made my house shake. It was as if a tree had fallen on us. It was too hot to pick up, so my wife dug it out with a hoe, and we took it back inside. He was given the equivalent of 30 years' salary for the 2.2-kilogram rock, The kind-hearted dad of three pledged to use some of the money to build a church for his community. He said, I've always wanted a daughter, and I hope this is a sign that I will be lucky enough now to have one. Space rock expert Jared Collins was dispatched from his home in Bali to secure the meteorite. The American said, my phone lit up with crazy offers for me to jump on a plane and buy the meteorite. And it was in the middle of the COVID crisis. And frankly, it was a toss-up between buying the rock for myself or working with scientists and collectors in the U.S., I carried as much money as I could muster and went to find Joshua, who turned out to be a canny negotiator. Fragments of the meteorite secured by a second collector are currently on sale on eBay for pound sterling 757 a gram, valuing the 1.839 gram hammerstone, as the main rock is called, at nearly 1.4 million. Collins shipped the space rock to America, where it was bought by an American collector who has it stored in liquid nitrogen at the Center for Meteorite Studies, at Arizona State University. Wow. The meteorite is classified as CM12 carbonaceous chondrite, an extremely rare variety which scientists believe contains unique amino acids and other primordial 
elements necessary for the sparking of life itself. The rock smashed into the ground back in August. Wow. Wow. That is, um, wow. I'm getting distracted because there's an article at the end of this article that I don't know if I want to read. Oh, bully. Uh, 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 uh. Yeah, maybe I will read it. Uh. It's about, uh, you know what? I'm not going to read the article. I'm just going to tell you. It's about a mom who found a lizard head in her child's baby food. That's all. She's trying to sue the company because she swears she found a lizard head in the baby food. Let's end Weird of the Week with this. Paranormal investigators capture ghostly activity at Tulsa Burger Joint. Do you believe in ghosts? Well, Sooner Paranormal paid a visit to a family-owned Dick's on 66 in Sepulpa and captured a few spooky videos in the process. Cameras were placed inside of the restaurant overnight and caught the lights flickering on and off. And I'm looking at the videos right now. Uh, yeah, we got some lights flickering. But again, that's a very easy thing. Well, again, I haven't talked about it yet. But that's a very easy thing to do. I mean, I could go to my fuse box right now and flick the lights on and off. Uh, you know, or have someone do it for me and put a camera here, film myself and be like, what the fuck? Hello? And act like it's a ghost. But multiple orbs were also captured on security cameras placed in the back room. Oh, uh, how do I feel about orbs? Oh, yeah, that's right. Fuck orbs, right? Hot take. Untold Hour says, fuck orbs. Another video captured a bizarre strand floating in front of a camera in the dining room, followed by a growl. Yeah, the strand, you know, the, I'm looking at the videos. Uh, we'll link this on our on our group or our Discord or whatever. The strand's a little more convincing, but the whole thing feels a little set up. The groan, I'm not really buying it. Um, think about this. Every time I click play on one of the videos, a very specific uh, ad plays for Maupin Roofing and Construction, which is a local roofing and construction firm in Oklahoma. What if this were just a roundabout way to get exposure for Moppin's roofing company? I mean, that's a roundabout way, but make fake uh, paranormal videos that seemingly have nothing to do with your company and then put an ad for roofing in front of it. Well, I will say the Strand video, guess what? It looks like a motherfucking cobweb. So, according to Sooner Paranormal, multiple conversations and voices were recorded. Some of these recordings included... The word Ethel, I can leave, I told you not to whisper, Duke was here, and we're dead. Okay, honestly, I, I, I would have been okay with orbs, strands, moans, lights flickering. You're going to tell me a ghost said, we're dead. Fuck off. I'm telling you, I, sw- I, I bet you in the history of time a ghost has never said we're dead. Huh? I bet you in the history of time, a ghost has never said we're dead. Just like if there were ever to be real-life zombies, they wouldn't say brains. You might as well have told me that the ghost said boo. Would a ghost say we're dead? Would a ghost say boo? Get the fuck out of here. I turned into uh, an umpire at the end of that story. Okay, look, this has been a long time coming. I mean, this is big, okay? Now, we've been reading listener stories as Onyx. I'm going to tell you right now, 
I don't think I can handle reading all eight of these as Onyx. I'll try maybe one as Onyx if it seems fitting for his particular voice, but I think I'm going to do these straight up as myself, A-Bows. Um, here's the first one. This is funny to me. Okay. It says, I got possessed? Question mark? Question mark? You don't know? Okay. All right. Uh, okay. My Lola, my grandma, passed away when I was a senior in high school. The day came for her funeral. We're Filipino, and like many Filipinos, we have some superstitions when it comes to funerals and cemeteries, as I have come to learn. Now, at this time, I didn't go to cemeteries that often. My Lola was the first to pass away here in America. My mom told me to say excuse me as I walked over gravestones to be polite to those who were buried already. Growing up in a Catholic family, I thought this was weird, so I ignored my mom. The burial proceeded as normal, and we stayed until every guest left the cemetery, as family traditions dictates. The next day, I woke up to extreme pain. Imagine getting a calf cramp, but everywhere. I couldn't move without pain, so I cried out so my mom would hear me. I told her what's going on, and she asked if I had said excuse me while I walked over the graves. I said no, and she got mad. She picked me up, and we drove to the cemetery. Once there, we got out, and my mom said, I'm sorry for my son. He should have known better. Please forgive him. She then told me to say I'm sorry, and I did. As my mom was driving back home, the pain started to go away, and about an hour later, the pain was gone. I asked my mom what happened to me, and she said, you were disrespectful, so you were possessed, and your body was trying to resist. Wow. Safe to say, when I visited my grandparents and parents at the cemetery now, I say excuse me, and I greet everyone around them. I know their names, and I talk to them like family. That's a great story. And, you know, to be honest... Now I understand why it's titled, I was possessed, question mark, because it was a near possession. Um, and that's, that's interesting. I guess subconsciously you were fighting off the spirit. It's kind of nice to know that your body and subconscious could do that without you having to consciously push to um, stop a possession. That's really interesting and kind of encouraging in ways. Hey, you want to hear a little funny aside? Um I, all right, you got just this is a little in betweener. We call this a tweener, okay? In between listener stories. I um and and Aristotle will will love to hear this. Oftentimes I will fart while in a Zoom call, okay? And it's a dangerous game because you've got to ride the mute button if you're going to be farting intermittently for the length of the call. But here's the thing. I'm so used to doing that in Zoom meetings. That I forget when we do Untold Hour, I'm in a Zoom, but I'm also recording audio through my microphone directly into my QuickTime player. So I may mute Zoom and then still fart on the mic that's catching my audio running into QuickTime. And I do wonder if at any point while Aristotle's been editing episodes, has he caught one of my farts and cut it out? Another question is, has he missed one of my farts and left it in. And that's a question for our listeners, huh? Untoldians. Have you ever caught a stray Bowser fart live? <laughs> Not live, but in an episode? Let me know. You can send that to the untoldhourpod at gmail.com. Okay, that was a great story. Um, I always like it when we hear a, a unique or interesting perspective on 
on something that can be kind of rote, you know, kind of tropey, a possession. Yeah, we hear it. And we see, you know, shadow people stories all the time. And But I've never heard about your body cramping because it was resisting a possession. That's cool. Okay, this next story is called The Weeping Bride and My Ghostly Encounter. Ooh, okay. You know, honestly, maybe this one should be read as Onyx. All right, here we go. I'm going to, let me, let me get into character here. Um, okay. Uh, first, a little bit of history. I grew up in the heart of New England, in Dover, New Hampshire. Old creepy houses, cemeteries, and ghosts are the norm up here. The Pine Hill Cemetery in Dover contains side-by-side burial plots of Cordelia, Tetherly, Griffin, and Henry Law. Henry Law was a prosperous businessman and was engaged to Cordelia. Sadly for Cordelia, Henry broke off their engagement because she refused to get rid of her puppy. I don't know. Because she was in love with Henry and was so upset with their breakup, she arranged to have a weeping woman statue placed on top of the family monument burial plot with the back facing Henry Law's family monument right next door. That is some 19th century shade. She did marry another man, but it is believed that she loved Henry till the day she died because she left him one large diamond solitaire and 10 shares of railroad stock in her will. She died at the age of 33 in 1891. Fast forward to 1998. I was a junior in high school and my mom was driving me to my spring musical theater rehearsal. It was a bright and sunny day about three o'clock in the afternoon. We're driving down a side street towards our Central Avenue in Dover, listening to the radio. As soon as we turn onto this side street, I see a white squiggly line about the height of a person in the middle of the road. As we approach it, I expect it. I expect it is just a reflection on the windshield and it will move, but it doesn't. Spooky. It stays right where it is and we drive through it. I don't say anything to my mom. I didn't want to sound crazy. I just turned around on my seat to see if it was still there and it was gone. At this point, we were at the end of the street and turning onto Central Avenue. Then, I face back front in my seat, and my mom says, Did you just see that? I look at her, and I say, See what? She then says, Did you see that woman floating in the middle of the street? I told her all I saw was the white squiggly line, which we concluded was a portion of her body, but my mom saw her entirely. She said she saw her face and hair, and that she was very pretty and looking at us as we drove. I can't tell you how excited I was that my mom saw this ghost with me. It completely validated to me that I was not crazy and the ghost was real. We think we saw the ghost of Cordelia Tetherly Griffin, otherwise known as the Weeping Bride. Interesting fact, the road we were driving on ended at Central Avenue and across the street was the Pine Hill Cemetery where Cordelia was buried. I'm sorry if that story was a bit long, but I know how obsessed you both are with New England and we've had some great stories up here. Thank you for providing a great podcast. You both are awesome, but especially Bowser. I don't know. I'll send more stories along in the future. Happy ghost hunting to you. Bye. <laughs> um, you can't have a story that has a name like Cordelia Tetherly Griffin and not have Onyx read it. Uh, that's awesome. Wow. I felt like I was there. Ooh, I love a New England ghost story. Ooh, I love the ambiance. I love it. I love the names of the streets. I love the cemetery. I love the statue. I love the weeping bride. Okay. Oh, no, I just signed out of my email. Oh, okay. No, I'm still in. I'm still in. Okay. This next one is called Two Quick Ghost Stories, One UFO. Two Quick Ghost Stories, One UFO. All right. Story number one. I had a girlfriend through my last two years of high school and part of college. It was one of those relationships you never forget, even though it ended poorly. She cheated on me a few times. Jesus. We did remain friends. Okay. But eventually lost touch. Ten years later, a mutual friend calls me and tells me she passed away that morning. She had cancer and gave me the funeral details. 
That night, in the middle of the night, I wake up and I hear her voice saying, Hello, hello, hello. It sounded like her whispering, trying to get my attention, to wake me up. I got scared and woke my wife up. My wife said that she just wanted to say goodbye. Wow. Interesting. So wait, your wife heard it too? Um, hmm. Yeah, okay. I guess so. I got scared and woke my wife up. She just wanted to say goodbye. Huh. Story number two. I stayed at a hotel in Lower Manhattan just off of Wall Street called the Andaz. It was a nice place. I was there Monday through Friday for work. The whole week, all was normal. Never even heard people from neighboring rooms. Thursday night, I wake up in the middle of the night because I hear what sounded like a child laughing. I figured I must have been dreaming, but then I heard it again. It sounded like it was coming from my door. When it comes to ghosts, I am not brave, as you can tell from the first story. My reaction was put the covers over my head and hope I quickly fall asleep. I was terrified. If I looked anywhere, I would see some little kids staring at me in the room. Uh, I want to look up the Andaz. Is it an older hotel? Does it have a history of hauntings? Uh, let me goog that shit. Wow. Uh, while I read your next one. Uh, well, now it's like a Hyatt, so it's hard to tell. Uh, and it's been refurbished. Hmm, doesn't look spooky now, but maybe it was when you stayed there. Story number three, UFO story. Okay. To quote the show, The Goldbergs, <laughs> the year was 1980-something. It's so funny when somebody quotes a show you've never seen. I I, I, I work with friends that, that quote, like, How I Met Your Mother, you know? And I'm like, huh? Um, I've never watched the Goldbergs, but, uh, it was 1980 something. I clearly remember it was Sunday night and I was watching Married with Children. Fuck yeah. Uh, my TV was near a window that faced the front of my house. A commercial came on and I looked out the window and noticed my street looking rather bright. It was much brighter than the street lights. I lived near New York City and thought maybe it was the Goodyear blimp. I walk outside and looked in the direction I'd seen at previous times toward the Meadowlands where the Giants and Jets play and nothing. I look down the other side of the street and I see a large object hovering just above the trees. It was at the end of my block. It was silent. By the way, if you just heard a sound, that was my those were my shoes rubbing together, not a Bowser strafe fart. Uh, I called my uh, sorry. It was silent. It was round with lights on the bottom all the way around. It was above the house. I called my mom and a friend of hers that were in the house. The three of us just stood there. Okay, sorry. I feel like I fucked up because I got distracted by my fake fart shoes. Let me take it back. I look down the other side of the street and I see a large object hovering just above the trees. It was at the end of my block. It was silent and it was round with lights on the bottom all the way around. It was above the house. I called my mom and a friend of hers that were in the house. The three of us just stood there amazed, lost for words, just staring for maybe three minutes. I ran inside and called my friend that lived in an apartment building nearby to get him to go to the roof to see what he saw. He refused because he'd get in trouble. I run back outside and it was Gorn. Nowhere to be seen. My mom and her friend got distracted and didn't even notice it leave. You know, one of my biggest uh, questions when people say they have had UFO sightings, and I asked this to Ryan, uh, our recent guest, is like, how did it leave? You know, where did it go? After you had the the moment of realization that I'm staring up at a UFO, then did it blip and disappear? Did it speed off? Did it move slowly away and then turn into a light streak as it zipped through the sky? That's always my question. Uh, for some perspective of how close I was to this, at the time I lived on 40 Grant Street, 
The UFO was above 48 Grand Street. The circumference was bigger than the house, maybe the size of the whole lot. And since it was giving so much light downward, I couldn't make out much detail on the sides. I just remember it was big, silent, and I could see the leaves moving like a breeze was blowing. Not a strong wind, like a light wind. Thank you so much. It's not often you get two gay stories and a UFO, but we did. Bows, why do you keep closing your email? Jesus, dude. I've got really bad internet down here in the garage, and refreshing the email is, uh, dicey at best. <laughs> All right, this one's called Listener Story Spooky Shit. Okay, fuck, this is a long one. Oh, boy, my, man, my voice is already getting tired, and I've, I've only been doing this for 30 minutes. Come on. Okay. Jess and Bowser, please don't use my real name. Please call me Beverly. I added that part, but uh, her name is not Beverly, so let's go with Beverly. My husband and I love the show and are so glad you are back. Oh, thank you. We started listening on long drives, and we save them up so that we can binge whenever we get a chance. Listener stories are some of our faves, and he's been telling me for ages to get mine all typed up and sent in. Well, Beverly, today's the day. Yeah! Woo! That's me jingling my garage keys in celebration. I've always been interested in the paranormal. Me, Beverly. I've been interested in ghosts, witches, etc. It didn't help when my mom told me when I was in middle school that our house had been haunted. But that's another email altogether. When I went to college, I knew I wanted to study history and dead people. And I ended up working in museums, historic house museums in particular, which are notorious hotspots for freaky things, both living and dead. No, seriously, museums attract some of the weirdest people. Huh, I never thought about that, but that is interesting. I worked at one specific site three separate times through college, and then again as I finished my PhD. I won't publicly name the site specifically for a lot of reasons, but it is a 19th century, 1800s, historic property and grounds in Tennessee. The site is beautiful, acres of farmland, a creek, a couple of cemeteries, and historic buildings. I always had ghosts and spooks in the back of my mind because of the history, but things didn't get really weird until I'd worked there a few months and became friends with the other staff members. One day, I came back to the office and mentioned to the event planner, Lane, not her real name. Oh, I wish I could have chosen her fake name. You know what? Lane is now going to be called Shelly. Shelly, not her real name, that I had some trouble with the original lock and skeleton key in the dining room. Shelly looked at me strangely for a moment and then got excited as she dove into the many stories about the house that she had collected from staff throughout the years. Shelly said, try telling the door that it's okay to let you in because you've washed your hands. Whoa, that's wild. Outside the dining room was a wash bin set up because of course, traditionally, the family had to wash up before dinner. Surprisingly, this worked. Say what you will about old keys and locks, especially my inability to do anything mechanical, but this was the start of my initiation into the stories of this place. Well, how fortuitous was it that I shook my garage keys prior to reading a story about a lock and key? And that's what we call serendipity. As I started to learn more about this site from Shelley, we decided we needed to capitalize on this with ghost tours in the fall. We continued to collect stories from everyone who worked there, and not surprisingly, everyone had had an experience. There are way too many to go into here, so I'll just share the two that I had personally. Now, 
I did not want to be in a haunted house by myself with no electricity any more than I had to be. So I tried everything I could to debunk these two things. And I welcome any explanations you or the other listeners may have too. There's no electricity at the house. Doors and windows are always closed and guides lock the doors behind them. Nicole Kidman in the others style. Beverly points for referencing the others. Experience number one. I had a large group on a tour of the house and my custom was to follow them all down the stairs to make sure no one got left behind and so I could lock doors behind me. We stood downstairs in the hallway chatting before we moved to the next room when I heard distinct footsteps above us on the landing. No one was up there and it wasn't typical house creaks. It was footsteps. I know the women on tour heard it because we all quickly decided to move on and not stick around. Wild. That's tight. Experience number two. This also involves the second floor. The way the house is set up with barriers, there is a lot of going through doors and inside and outside and back inside as this house, at this house. Whenever anyone went into the back part of the house, their eyes were always drawn to the second floor landing above them. Nothing was ever seen there, but you couldn't not look up there. There was a blood stain in one of the rooms upstairs that was never explained, and with the history of slavery at the site, there were plenty of horrors, both real and imagined. One day, I had a very small tour with just one couple, and we walked up those back steps to the landing. As soon as I got to the top step, I couldn't breathe, and the door to the bedroom slammed up against the gate that was there to prevent visitors from entering the room. I couldn't catch my breath, and that door slamming made it even worse. One of the visitors visitors offered me a piece of candy, to try to help me breathe, and we decided to skip the upstairs and go back outside where I could breathe again. The combination of these things is what really freaked me out. There was no wind. I had never had a breathing fit like that before, and the second floor always had that uneasy feeling. Like I said, I tried to explain these things away, but I never could. Everyone else had their own stories, some creepier than these. I wish I had more time to catalog them all for you and your listeners. I'd never doubt that that place had something going on. I've worked at other historic houses... And none of them gave me the uneasy feeling this one did. Signed, Beverly. That's awesome. Ooh, I tell you what. I tell you what. That I love a good haunted historic house. I do. I don't know what I love more. Creepy New England or haunted history in the South. Uh, The next one. Here we go. Okay. This is interesting. Now we're getting into some nighttime frights. Nighttime frights. Maybe we should have named the podcast that. Nighttime frights. Hello, everyone. I'm sorry if this is written weird, but I only have my phone on me, so I typed this out on the phone. My name is Kat, and I'm happy that you guys are back. Amazing. When I was a child, I used to see an entity in my room at night. This entity was an older woman with long, greasy hair, long, cracked, dirty, pointy nails, and a sunken-in, rotten face. She usually showed up in mirrors or at the edges of my rooms. She would just stand there and stare at me. I used to bury myself under my blanket with a nightlight until the morning came. As I got older, the sightings of her went away until recently, now that I am pregnant. Wow. I was about 25 weeks pregnant when I was up at my best friend's lake house. I was up, up late one night, Snapchatting with my friend. I lifted my camera to take a picture, and behold... The entity that I used to see as a kid was reflected in the app. Dude, that's some come play shit. Anybody see that movie Come Play? I haven't, but it's about an app where you see a bad boy in it. I freaked out, dropped my phone, and didn't touch it till the next morning. 
Sadly, I did not snap the photo. I am now almost 38 weeks pregnant, and I see this entity on and off since the lake house sighting. I will keep y'all updated on it if I keep seeing this entity after I have my daughter this coming week. I also found an artist who will draw up this entity for me, and I'll send you the picture when it is completed. Whoa. Okay, hold on. This email is from May. Let me... Oh, I'm not in our actual untold hour Gmail. Fuck. I was going to search the inbox to see if she got back to us after her daughter was born. But I got all these listener stories forwarded me from forwarded to me from Chobot. So uh, I can't actually search our inbox to see if there's more from Katarina, from Kat. But wow, I am curious. That is interesting. I mean, I don't even know how to unpack what that could be, what that could mean. Um, very interesting. I hope that uh, that you haven't continued to see that creature. I think that would be really disturbing, especially at a time in life when you're probably not getting much sleep because you've got a newborn, etc. Uh, I'll check the inbox to see if Kat ever responded with more info. All right, this next one is called Sleep Paralysis. My name is Matt, and you can use my name. Well, I'm not going to say Matt. I'm calling you Beverly. Everyone's Beverly. You're Beverly. You're Beverly. You're Beverly. You're Beverly. I'm mad with Beverly's. Just kidding. I'll call you Matt. I've been listening to the podcast for over a year now, and I'm so glad you guys are back. You may find it odd for me to say, but I'm a big fan of the regular dose of spooky shit you guys provide, and I am actually a skeptic of all things spooky. Hey, here's the thing, dude. I love a skeptic. I don't think... You know, there's, okay, there's, there's, there's different breeds of skeptics. I have a friend who's a skeptic who actively is disgusted and annoyed when he hears stories of the paranormal. It bothers him. And I can't relate to that. You know, there, there, there's no curiosity. Anytime I tell him about something we've heard on the podcast, a listener's story, or if I've ever shared with him a personal experience of my own, he's just visually annoyed. Face contours. Well, that's not what it was, okay? That's not what it was, okay? It's not ghost. The fact that your mind immediately goes to ghosts, that means there's something wrong with your way of thinking. You know, that's his energy. That's a, that's a difficult skeptic to deal with. But, but a curious skeptic, or a skeptic that can just entertain the stories, uh, even if it's just for the mood. Hey, look at it like fiction. You watch scary movies, right? And you don't go, ghosts aren't real. Ghosts aren't real. Just engage with it, even if it's purely on a fictional level, okay? Let the spooky wash over you, like a chamomile bath of spooky, huh? Like a, like a spooky summer's eve, huh? And, and don't judge it so harshly. And I think that's what Matt does. I don't think Matt judges. Uh, next sentence from Matt. I don't really believe in ghosts or demons or cryptids. <laughs> However... I do live by the idea that we, as the human race, know jack shit in the grand scheme of things. That's all I'm asking for, Matt. I also think that there must be some truth of this phenomenon in all things, because when you take the time to listen to people, you can tell they truly believe in what they say. I love to listen to people's experiences and passion, because even my scientific mind says that we should always challenge our presumptions. That's good, Matt. A good theory needs to be tested, and we need to explore even that which we don't believe if we want to find the truth. And all of that is why I love you both. Oh, thanks, Matt. You passionately discuss these things, but also seem to still look at the skeptic side, which is a hard balance to keep. 
I bring all of this up to preface my story. I have come to believe it was just a reoccurring sleep paralysis nightmare, but perhaps yourself or your listeners might find more in it than my skeptic mind refuses to see. A few years back, I moved into a new place. It was a little townhouse that I was renting, and it was the first time I was truly living alone after living with roommates my whole adult life up to that point. The place was kind of run down, but pretty nice, and overall pretty cheap, all things considered. All was well until my first night's sleep. I had never experienced sleep paralysis before, but I awoke frozen to the sound of a woman's voice calling out my name, seemingly from my living room. A long and drawn out, Matthew. It was almost your stereotypical ghost voice, except that it seemed to be calling for help. So maybe it was more like a, Matthew? My gut instinct was that my friends were pranking me until I remembered I was living alone now. I tried to ignore it, but it repeated, and slowly, I realized it was coming closer with the sound of soft footsteps moving through my kitchen to my room. At this point, my mind was racing. I began to assume someone had broken into my house, someone who knew my name, but I still couldn't bring myself to move and couldn't open my eyes. There wasn't actually a door between my kitchen and my room. I'd put a curtain up for privacy, but there was no way to know if or when she would enter my room. No sound of a door handle, nor a creak of a hinge to rely on. Suddenly, there was one more Matthew at the foot of my bed and the feeling of a hand sharply grabbing my ankle. Matthew, come on, dude, come on. You're still a skeptic, my guy? You're getting grabbed by ghosts and you're still a skeptic. In that moment, my body returned to me and I kicked, screamed, and all but fell out of the bed. But nothing was there. I didn't sleep that night. Chalked it up to fear of living alone for the first time. But this repeated. Every night, the same voice, the same footsteps, and always ending with a hand on my ankle, jolting the gift of movement back to my frozen body. Ooh, the gift of movement. That sounds like a a book written about a famous dancer. I grew terrified to sleep and was falling apart in my exhaustion. I did not have internet in the house yet, so all I had to distract myself was unpacking, which is rather difficult when you've barely slept in days, and certainly not entertaining enough to keep my mind from wandering to what was going to return that night. I couldn't decide if I was losing my mind or if perhaps ghosts were real and my new home was truly haunted. Thankfully, after two to three weeks of next to no sleep, I finally had a good night's sleep, no visits from the voice, and I have not had such a dream since. I lived in that place for another two years, and I never had any other paranormal experience there. For myself, I have chalked this up to anxiety-induced sleep paralysis nightmares that eventually went away as I got used to living alone, and as exhausted as my body was, I couldn't try to keep conscious while sleeping. But maybe you or your listeners might find something else within this. Truly, it scared me senseless, and was the first time I had really questioned my skeptic ways. So here's the thing, Matt. Here's my take. Dare I say, my expert opinion. <laughs> when the same friend of mine that's the skeptic that that's truly disgusted by anything paranormal or supernatural in belief, I witnessed him get into a, a drunken conversation with another friend. We were all at a wine tasting. It was a boy's getaway, okay? And we were drinking a lot of wine. And... Uh, let me give my friends names. We're going to call them Billy and Willie, okay? Because that won't get confusing. So Billy is my friend that is like always disgusted in the supernatural. But Willie is my other friend in this wine tasting. Willie says to Billy, hey, you know, 
I actually had a supernatural experience recently. Can you can you guys believe it? And Billy, oh fuck, I've already forgotten which one's which. Well, my super skeptic friend was like, "Fuck you, you had a paranormal experience. What the fuck are you talking about?" My other friend was like, "Well, I don't believe in any of that shit." But I used a Ouija board, okay? I used a Ouija board and we spoke to it and it told me something that only I know about. And it's hard to explain because I can't tell you what it said, but it was something that was very personal to me that would only, um, what's the word, resonate with me. And, uh, and it spelled it out, my guy. So I believe in the supernatural now. And my friend, Billy, or whatever, went off about this how fucked up it is to believe in the supernatural because of a Ouija board when it was probably your subconscious moving the planchette around the board. And what do you mean it knew something about you that only you know? What do you mean it revealed something about you? Like just went on and on. These two dudes talked about it. They started talking about dimensions. They started talking about alternate timelines and time travel and God and the devil and heaven and hell. They went all over the place. They went fucking metaphysical. They went to space and back. And then at some point, the super skeptic said something like, well, I mean, I do believe that there's obviously there's alternate dimensions. So if anything, we're seeing glimpses into different dimensions, but they aren't ghosts. And I was like, hold the fuck up. That's ghosts, dude. That's ghosts. That's like saying, well, I don't believe in goat man, but I do believe there's a mutated goat in the woods that kind of looks like a man and can stand on its hind legs and maybe scare the fuck out of some teenagers, that would be the goat man, okay? Well, I don't believe in Mothman, but I think there is a fucked up owl that has been living in this abandoned dynamite factory that's been mutated over the years because of exposure to radiation, but it's just a fucked up owl. Well, that's the Mothman. I mean, I know the Mothman's more than that, but what I'm saying is oftentimes it's just semantics. It's all semantics. So the science of it may still exist. It's just a matter of of how you choose to engage with it. So to your point, to your story, what is is that? It's not as binary as supernatural or not supernatural. We are made of fucking spirit. I mean, I would argue most of us would say there's something spiritual to us. There's something, there's a soul. I don't know if it's a glowing blue orb, but there's something that makes us up that's that's supernatural, right? Spiritual. And we're made of science. We're made of fucking bits and bobs that all add up to a fleshy, bony body. It's all one and the same. It's not like somewhere in the cosmos, there's like the spiritual and the scientific and they're at odds with each other. We're the fucking blend of that shit. So everything is everything. Sleep paralysis demon, a demon from hell, or a manifestation of anxiety emerging from your subconscious. What's the difference? Is something grabbed your foot. Something yanked on your ankle. So the outcome is the same. Define it however you want, but you still got your ankles yanked. That's the takeaway. I don't know if that makes sense, but it makes sense to me. And it makes sense to Billy and Willie. Oh, I hope they're doing well. All right. We're going to end on this one. This one is called mm, Paranormal or Not. I'll let you decide. 
oh, well, maybe this will be similar to the last story. Maybe it'll cause an existential discussion. Okay. Hey, Jess, Bowser, Aristotle, and whomever else may or may not be there. It's just us and the ghosts, my guy. Let me start with this. You may say my name. It's Gage. That's tight. Gage, like Pet Cemetery. I was turned into a bizarro and since have evolved into a full-blown Untoldian. Ooh, well, I've never thought about the evolution. So bizarros are the Mogwai and Untoldians are the gremlins, dude. Oh, I love it. You were Mogwai, but then we got you wet, huh? And we fed you chicken wings after midnight. And then you mutated into gooey, green, bubbling, pus-filled Untoldians standing tall in all of your grotesque glory. Oh, I love it. A dear friend of mine turned me on to your podcast about a year ago, and I've been hooked ever since. I love the content you guys bring, as well as the dynamic of the relationship you share. I just want to say that you guys are amazing, and I'm thrilled to have your snot-slurping-poo-corner-diving SKD-having-asses back in my ear holes. Enough about that. On to the meat and potatoes of this email. Allow me to paint you a word picture. The date is the late 1990s. I'm a wee lad living in a 1920s built home with a finished basement. And what I'm about to describe is two separate events that occurred within a few years of each other. Event one went as follows. I'm in the basement of the house, which as I mentioned is finished. So it felt like the bottom floor of any other house with its only defining characteristic being that most of it is subterranean. At this time, my grandma lived in this furnished basement so that my dad, who lived in the upper floor of the house, could keep her close as she aged. Of the three bedrooms downstairs, one had been converted into a computer room. My elementary school age self was on the computer, probably playing one of the Mission Think games when I heard a whistling coming from the living room direction. My grandma was in the living room, so I thought nothing of it. The whistling only lasted a few seconds and sort of sounded like it was part of a song, though not an obviously recognizable one. While I was perfectly content thinking it was my grandma whistling, things got weird. When she called out from the living room, what are you whistling about? Her tone was the same joking, playful one that she used anytime someone whistled around her. So I replied, I wasn't, I thought you did it. I walked into the living room where we spent the next minute or two unsuccessfully trying to convince the other that we didn't do the whistling. Finally, she says, it was probably Steve and we blow it off, going back to doing our own thing. And this next section, I'll add a trigger warning. There are uh, some violent descriptions uh, regarding suicide. Three things of note. First, the following is fairly graphic. Proceed with that in mind. Second is that Steve killed himself via shotgun in the living room of the basement several years before my family had bought the house. Third, his name wasn't Steve, but I didn't want to use the real name for the sake of privacy for his family. Wow, interesting. That is heavy. Wow. And the way that played out is super interesting. Both hearing the whistle, both assuming it was the other person doing the whistling. Wow. That's, uh, that was compelling. Event number two. This occurred while in the upstairs portion of the same house. A few years following the first event, my stepbrother, I'll call him Bill. What? We already have a Bill. We've got Billy, we've got Willie, we've got Shelly, we've got Beverly. I'll call him Bill. And I were up into the witching hour and beyond playing video games, probably watching him play Final Fantasy VII at the time. The house is occupied by the following people. Dad, stepmom, stepsister, stepbrother, myself, and my half-brother, who was too young to be 
walking well at the time. Bill and I were the only ones awake when we hear through the closed bedroom door the sound of children's footsteps running, not walking, back and forth between the living and dining rooms. The sound makes two laps before stopping. We both heard it and looked at each other confused. No one in the house was the right size for the sound of the footsteps to match them. My stepmom ran a daycare, and we'd heard the sound of a toddler running around the house before, just never at, oh, God, o'clock in the morning. After a few moments of exchanging various what the F was that, we went back to the game, deciding neither of us wanted to know, bad enough to open the door, and that it was better to just assume the sound was one of our parents up walking around. Several minutes later, my dad knocks on the door and asks if we've been out running around in the living room. We respond with a now spooked, no, we thought one of you guys were up. He says that they weren't and tells us that we should probably get some sleep. Years have gone by and nothing else worth mentioning has happened in the house to my knowledge. So yeah, those are my paranormal experiences at the house. I've got some stories around shadows, potentially shadow people, but it's going to be fairly long. So if you want to know more about that, let me know. In the meantime, keep it spooky, keep it weird, and keep it shitty. (laughs) Hey, Gage, we'll keep it shitty. Wow. Can I just say, I loved that episode. (laughs) Can I give it five stars on iTunes? Um, I loved those listener stories. And everybody that ends a listener story by saying, you know, if you want to know more, I'll tell you more. Yeah, of course we want to know more. Send us more. I, I want to know more about everything. I want to know about the the shadow person in cats during cats pregnancy. I want to know more about these shadow people. You're talking to me about Gage. I want it all. I want it, want it, I want it. I want to see my face on the wall. I don't know what the words are, but that was a little high school musical for you. What a way to end an episode. A high school musical throwback. Okay. Wow. That has been the long-awaited listener story episode of The Untold Hour. Thank you all for listening. Thank you all for being bizarros and then letting us get you wet, eating our chicken, gestating in a cocoon in Billy's attic, another Billy, and then being reborn as the gooey, beautiful gremlins Untoldians are. Thank you so much for sticking with me through these solo Bow Wow-sodes. And uh, until next time, this has been Andrew Bowser, and you've been listening to The Untold Hour. <laughs> Untoldians, that is it for this episode of The Untold Hour. Thank you for joining us on this weird and wild ride into the bazaar. If you are interested in sharing your own story of the weird, send us your listener stories to theuntoldhourpod at gmail.com. Come join The Untold Hour Convo over on my Discord server and our Facebook group. And you can follow us on our socials, Instagram at The Untold Hour and at Untold Hour Pod on Twitter. Star Bands Avenue, a podcast, <clears throat> a podcast network.